Hey guys, this is Pete. Before we start the show, I just wanted to give a quick shameless plug for my debut novel entitled Frankenstein, A Life Beyond. It's the first direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic and follows Ernest Frankenstein, the sole survivor of the original book. Like mystery, adventure, romance, horror, then this is the ebook for you. Check it out today on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and my website, EnceladusLiterary.com. That's E N C E L A D U S Literary.com. Thanks. Now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. Oh, come on, Doc. Think about it. What are you going to say to her? I got to go back to the future? I mean... He's not going to understand that, Doc. Hell, I'm in it with you, and I don't even understand it. With your host, Pete. So what are you looking at, butthead? Hey, Biff, get over this guy's life preserver. Dork thinks he's going to drown. Yeah. And Greg. It's already mutated in the human form. Shoot it! And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. Painful now, the station! Coming up the switch, shot. And we're back with another Hindsight is 2020, where we are going to dive into the 80s, into the heart of the 80s and the end of the 80s, and in a timely manner. A movie that talks about right now <laughs> in in an eighties form <laughs> makes a nineteen eighty nine version of what is rapidly becoming the present, and that's disturbing enough to think about. But we are in the world of Back to the Future. My God, we're living in the future today. <laughs> we are. Where is my fax machine in every room? And my big TV on the wall that has things taped. Where's Flea? And where's Flea? <laughs> that is probably the largest question. Where is Flea? Where's and the, and, Harvey Flea? And where? an even more important question, what are you looking at, butthead? Oh, well, we're looking at what in our day was one of the most anticipated movies of all time. And at least for me, was held in some decent regard as I went along. But as I've gotten older and gotten pickier about looking at movies from my childhood, Back to the Future Part 2 stands out as one of those films that, uh, in hindsight, doesn't work. <laughs> I think is what we're agreeing on. Some people out there may love it, but if you start nitpicking this movie... It uh, it crumbles. It's yeah, don't don't pull th- too hard on the threads there because <laughs> it unravels quickly. <laughs> and it's not even just from a logic standpoint. Of they did okay with with keeping things together from the story they had from keeping things together in the time travel with 
well, this should be here and this should be here. That They did all right with that, but the story itself was kind of made you think, these are the same guys who wrote as tight a screenplay as Back to the Future 1 was and had five years to work on it? And this is all they came up with? This is... <laughs> Pretty... Was this the Phantom Menace? You had how long to work on this trip? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty shitty. So, um, you know, as our usual methodology here, what was your experience with the Back to the Future world? Well, um, I'm, I'm sad to say I did not see the original Back to the Future on the big screen. Um, I saw it on good old VHS, but um, immediately kind of, you know, fell in love with the film, fell in love with the characters, the world, all of that. I think one of the neat things about Back to the Future was in the time period that it came out, it was one of those nice kind of cross-generational films. So, I mean, it could appeal to kids, it could appeal to older people because they had, you know, a lot of them had lived through or had memories of the 50s and everything. Um, and so I think they were really able to kind of capitalize on pulling in uh, multiple generations and really getting people to kind of connect um, that way with the film and with the story and everything. So, I mean, the first one, I think, personally, I think that still largely holds up. I think it holds up spectacularly well, actually. It's one of my favorite films of all time. I mean, I've got a freaking poster on my wall in my <laughs> office of Back to the Future, and that was after having to really be picky with a lack of wall space as to what movie poster I was going to A, purchase, and B, put in a frame and put on my wall. And I had a lot of movies to pick from, and that was the one that ultimately won out. So that tells you where that sits in my pantheon. And I saw it way too many times to count. <laughs> uh, it was one of the first record albums that I bought on my own with my own allowance money from Columbia Records was the Back to the Future soundtrack which... Thank you, Huey Lewis. Yeah, it had <laughs> Huey Lewis and a bunch of songs from the 50s. I mean, that that movie alone was pretty much solely responsible for me start listening to the oldies station growing Al up. Yeah, Alan Silve Silvestri's uh, kind of classic score now. Yeah, not film. just the score, but I'm talking about the 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 music from the 50s in it. Mm. I mean, it made me listen to the oldies station when I'm 10 years old. Everybody's yeah. listening to Paul A. Abdul and Michael Jackson, and I'm listening to... <laughs> Mr. Uh, Sandman. And doo-wop and shit, yeah. <laughs> so I was just, I was a very odd child. <laughs> but it holds a, a, a high, high esteem. I saw it twice in the movie theater because uh, I think I've said this before, but... The summer of 85 was the grand opening of my eyes to the world of cinema simply because that was the year that my oldest brother got a driver's license and suddenly it was, oh my God, we're going to go see Back to the Future again? Sweet. Well, what else can we see? Rocky Four, Rambo Two, um, Breakfast Club I saw. <laughs> I, I, uh <laughs> Uh, 85 was a good year for movies. Definitely uh, a great summer for movies. Real Genius I saw in the theater. So it was uh, it was a, a, a magical, magical summer. <laughs> but it all capped off with Back to the Future, and then the VHS came along, and of course on the VHS what made it different, and that's what's going to bring us here today, is that because Universal had so much success with the movie in the theater, it was easily outgrossed everything by leaps and bounds to be the highest grossing movie of 85. 
and I think very close to being the highest grossing movie of the 80s almost but the VHS suddenly added after the credits or just before the credits roll it added a good old to be continued before the uh, the final credits rolled and suddenly it was an eight year old's brain exploding going what what Oh my god, and the time span between 1985 and 1989 when you're a, a pre-adolescent adolescent is, uh, it seemed like uh, the dinosaurs came and went before we got to see Back to the Future Part 2. So when, when it hit, my brother and I went and uh, saw it opening night around Thanksgiving, and yeah, it, it, was a, it was a big bombshell, and before I had any discerning mind, it was awesome. Well, um, can you think of, because this was an ambitious way to go about it, especially for the time period. Back then, can you think of any other movies where they said, okay, we're not just going to do a sequel, we're going to do two, and we're going to film them simultaneously so we can release them basically back to back? See, that is such a unique thing, and I'd have to look... I'd have to look on Wikipedia to figure out who else has done that. I mean, obviously, Lord of the Rings, I think, first thing comes to mind is what's yeah. done it since. But it's rare. It is rare. It's very rare. And that may, again, we'd have, we'd have to do more research than we've done. Um, but that may be the first time that we really got that. Well, in a sense, uh, what the Salkine's intentions were with the Richard Donner Superman was to film the big huge script and then split it into two movies which they ultimately did true but then they got cold feet and it was going so over budget that they forced richard donner to just throw everything into the first one and then see if it's a hit and then make a second but and then you know all that came so <laughs> but that was the first one i could think of i'm sure god there's some other examples but that's the only one coming to my head pre back to the future of we're shooting this with the intention of making Superman 1 and Superman 2. And so when Back to the Future came along, they said, we're shooting two movies, and they're going to come out right away. I mean, The Matrix did it later on, too, with their two sequels. They mm -hmm. followed the same pattern. And we can dive into that <laughs> sharky pool sometime <laughs> later. But for right now, Back to the Future... But yeah, and so Back to the Future 2 came out Thanksgiving of 89, Part 3 came out in May of 90, and the end of Part 2 had a big long trailer because they were essentially done with Part 3 to say, here, here we come back in a couple months. Whether or not that led to the lack of quality we're going to discuss, uh, that <laughs> might have something to do with it. Well, and we also had another um, kind of factor thrown into the mix here. Zemeckis was, um, and still is in uh, some ways, kind of very big into trying new film techniques and things of that nature. And this was kind of his testing ground in a lot of ways for, you know, getting one person playing multiple characters in the exact same frame and it actually looking good. Yeah, this was a pioneering film for ILM as far as making those kind of effects work. And I think you, that, that's, that hits the damn nail right on the head. <laughs> I, I, we always burn George Lucas for this, but I think that hits the nail right there where a lot of times, for all the credit I'll give Bob Zemeckis for making good films over the years, there's a lot of times where the man seems like he is making something just to experiment with a film technique 
or a special effect technique instead of just making a, a movie. It's almost like Who Framed Roger Rabbit's a good movie by accident. He just wanted to experiment to see what it would be like putting animation with live action. Or, uh, I mean, Castaway was a good movie. I think that's helped by a good script and good acting. But it's really Bob Zemeckis saying, oh, I wonder what it would be like to just have one actor on screen all the whole movie long. So he's he seems like he's very concept-driven, and his concepts aren't the concept of the story, but the concept of, here's a film technique I want to try. I want to make Polar Express with Tom Hanks playing a bunch of roles, and it's all motion capture. Uh, the movie. We got, what, three, three of those, right? Christmas Carol, Beowulf. Beowulf, yeah. yeah. And each one to very diminishing returns as far as a story, because mm-hmm. it seemed like he was really just jazzed about well, I, you know, look at look at this technique I can do. Or that, that's a worse Bob Zemeckis. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't even have a Bob Zemeckis voice I can do try to do. Oh, we'll put it on sticks. You know, we'll try it. Uh, we'll just we'll just make him sound like an old timey guy. Hey? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying. I've heard the man speak before. Ah, <laughs> oh, you know what you need there? You need a little bit of computer animation, motion cap. Oh. Let's put Michael J. Fox in every role. Ha ha. <laughs> There you go. Let's not do that. <laughs> all right. So back Improvement to, number one. All right. So back to the future part two. Our first version is Michael J. Fox is not playing every role. Yes. He's not related to himself four or five times over. Yeah. And if we get to back to the future part three, uh, I don't know what Leah Thompson had in her contract, but she does not need to be in there at all, <laughs> at all, at all. There's no reason for her to be there. She, yeah, really doesn't do much in part three. Now, when part two came out, I don't know where I was. Maybe I was still writing the Batman wave or something. Who knows? But um, I actually did not see this number two in the theater. I saw number three in the theater. And I remember when I went, I was very worried that I was going to be totally lost um, because, you know, these things were a trilogy. I thought they were meant to be viewed together. And the friend who I went with, there was like one or two little explanations at the very beginning of part three. And he's like, oh, yeah, this happened. And I mean, he basically covered what I need to know from the second movie in about three sentences. And I said, like, got it. And I was just rolling from that point <laughs> forward into part three. And it actually wasn't a while until I went through and I watched part two. And got to say, this is one I've never really connected with. And part two is... It's like The Dark Knight Rises for us, which, or for me, which is, yeah, it's that enjoyable experience while you're on the ride and you're watching these characters that you like and the actors that you like and the goodwill from the first movie still carrying over and the music's the same and you're in these same locations. And there's a lot of goodwill from that, but it's, again, like The Dark Knight Rises, the more you go back to it, the more I go back to it, the more it just falls apart and when you look at the trilogy as a whole, it's almost like you have to work hard to find a connection between any of the two sequels in the first movie. But if you lost 95% of Back to the Future Part 2 and then just had the end of Back to the Future Part <laughs> 2 and Part 3, you would miss nothing. Yeah, and that's pretty much kind of the conclusion that I came to when I finally did see it. I was just kind of like, well, all right, that happened. And 
yeah, it didn't really impact anything severely as far as the plot line to the third one went other than, oh, so that's how Doc got into the Old West. Done. So, yeah, all you need for the third one is Doc got in the Old West and there's a hoverboard. And there's a the hoverboard. Future. Yeah, really. <laughs> that was it. And the letter. Yeah. And uh, yeah, honestly, if that was all I really needed explained, it was like, OK, got it. Cool. Um, something else that's always kind of struck me about number two and um, yes, I don't know. Two. I might I might I don't. <laughs> yes. Number two. Um, I might be. I don't want to overpraise three because it does have its issues, obviously. But um, I feel like tonally there's a stronger connection between the way kind of the storytelling and the pacing works with number one and the way it works with number three than with number two. And that problem, I think, stems from the idea that uh, even in the commentaries, Bob Zemeckis, Bob Gale both said the same thing. We were stuck story-wise because of the joke at the end of part one of Doc coming back and saying, we got to go to the future and it's your kids. And so they both said they were stuck. And it shows the these two guys who grew up in the 50s they wanted to tell a story of time travel and going back to the old west and back to the future part two was them saying how do we fill two hours before we get to what we really care about which is putting doc brown in the old west and doing a western <laughs> do, do 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 stuff's happening do, do 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 and that's how part two comes off when you watch it again is it's these guys that are completely uninterested in making this filler episode of Back to the Future, we go back to our TV talk. They're making a, <laughs> they're making a filler episode as though they got to do 22 episodes of Back to the Future Part Two, or Back to the Future, and Part Two is their episode 13 of the season, which they could care less about, but they got to fill it. So, why they fought, thought oh, we got to make three when they could very easily? And let's get into it because I think that's where our sequel could come in. Is okay, fine. Let's acknowledge the ending scene of Doc showing up at the end of the first one saying, It's about your kids, Marty and <laughs> and having to go back to and having to go to the future, having to go way into the future to two thousand fifteen, which is suddenly on our doorstep. <gasps> and Hover cart no, just drones. So let's acknowledge that and let's just say, okay, our parameters are Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, you need to make uh, a sequel to this movie what do you want to do but your parameters are it needs to be a sequel and you have to have Michael J. Fox and Doc Brown and it would be nice if you could bring in other people uh, from the first movie so that we can have recognizable faces but and here's what we'll deviate mm. but you don't have to <laughs> <laughs> sure Biff was great Thomas Wilson would love to work but you don't have to if you want to have do, do we have to get fake Crispin Glover in here too or? yeah we'll do those same parameters Crispin okay. Glover just had a meltdown and they didn't agree just not going going with this okay so we could do the same thing and just say oh we went to the future George McFly is dead <laughs> It's 30 years in the future. He was in his late 40s to mid-50s in the uh, the first movie. So, well, yeah, that's about right. So, yeah, he could die of a heart attack. When All right, was... I've, I've got a question for you. Okay, so if the whole 
if their heart really was in doing the Western and everything, right? I would believe so, yeah. All right, couple couple ways that I could see kind of approaching this differently. Uh, first, you can introduce the Old West into, say, the second half or even the beginning of Part 2, depending on how you want to do that. Um, we could honestly save ending up in the future future to all the way, you know, towards the back half of part three, if you really wanted to. Or we could just do one sequel. Or that. <laughs> I mean, what about, uh, it could go one of two ways. Either we can ape what they did and start with the ending sequence of part one again and then just they have some sort of crazy adventure. Or we can continue the comedy that worked so well from the first one. And the comedy that came from Doc Brown's inventions don't always work well. Yeah, that was also part of what I was thinking is, all right, well, heck, if you want to have them you know, start back to the future or whatever it is, yeah, there, there's a malfunction in the equipment or you can get them struck by lightning sooner. <laughs> And it screws things up. Um, and, yeah, then you have kind of a natural excuse for having to go off on some little, if you have must do it, some kind of little tangent and everything like that. And, I mean, maybe it, like, slowly comes out what it is that Doc's worried about. Because i got to be honest, the a lot of the stuff in the future for me, uh, in part two as it exists, just really doesn't work. No, it, it, and a lot of it has to do with him shoving Michael J. Fox into everything. But, no. uh, but it's also, yeah, the story doesn't work. But, I mean, what about this as a story for part two? Okay, so there's an underlying motif, and there's a reason why Doc is so excited at the beginning of Back to the Future <laughs> Part 1 when he's like, I finally invented something that works! <laughs> Well, let's play with that joke. So the first movie ends with them flying off in the lightning and boom, 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 boom. All right, fine. So let's start the second movie exact same way, even if we have to recast uh, Jennifer with Elizabeth Shue. That's fine. It's we can, okay. We can do recasts. And it doesn't even give have her a to better be, wig. It doesn't even have to be <laughs> identical. I mean, don't try to go copy it identically. Either do it mm -hmm. exactly the same and practice it for six weeks trying to get the cadence and everything down or just say, fuck it, we're going to restart. But when they get into the car and the lightning strikes and now we see where they went to, maybe there's a malfunction when he put in Mr. Fusion and he put mm -hmm. in trash. There's a malfunction and they end up in the Old West. Don't put that Miller can in there. Don't you know what that will do? So they end up in the Old West with Jennifer in the car. And they have to explain all this crap as they're in the Old West. And now they got to find a way to get out. And then midway through the movie, they find a way to get out of the Old West. And they end up going to 2015. And suddenly they're like, oh, my God, that's right. Doc said there was a problem with our kids. And then we can have something going on there that we can talk about. And then the whole sequence of the second movie, which could just be its sequel in and of itself, is that they're just trying to get back to 1985 and when they get back to 1985, there can be a cliffhanger that when they get back, they did something in 1885 that just completely screwed everything up. Mad Dog Tannen was clinging to the tailpipe because <laughs> they were taking off. <laughs> yeah, either bring somebody back with them or 
once they get to 1985, Jennifer disappears, and they completely screwed up with her family, and then she's gone, and she just, like, magically dissolves like Marty did in the first movie. Well, that would definitely raise the stakes. Ooh, conflict. And now, all of a sudden, at the end of the second movie, if you want to do a third, they're like, you know... They're they're getting ready to come back to to 1985, and it's thank God Doc finally fixed this machine, and we're gonna go back here and do all this, and and yeah, and maybe someday Jennifer will will fix that future of ours. Yeah, Marty. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 lightning flashes. They get to the back to 1985, and Jennifer disappears in Marty's arms. And what I like about that idea and everything is. And I think it was underplayed in the third one. Uh, they bring up this idea about how, you know, maybe the time machine has caused more problems than it's worth. And it's something that's dangerous and they should probably get rid of. And then they totally take a big dump on that at the end of part three <laughs> with Doc showing up with the flying train. And it's just like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. It's, it's unwritten. And I'm just and God knows if you people will even exist five seconds from now when I take off in this thing. But, uh, hey, <laughs> And we're going to do a cartoon, so we need Doc to be in a cute little train with kids. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. The, the the end of our second movie is Jennifer disappearing in Marty's arms. Now, Marty is A, sad about that, B, pissed at Doc Brown yeah. for essentially doing this, and then C, realizes that he has to team up with Doc to find a way to go back to 1885 to see if he can then... Uh, figure out what they did and Doc then pisses off Marty even more by being the grander voice of reason saying, Marty, I don't know if we should go back because what else are we going to do? Should we cut our losses, so to speak, and not do anything else? I need to destroy this machine and then Marty steals the <laughs> the time machine and goes back by himself, uh, leaving Doc to try and fix something. So yeah, there's all sorts of conflict that can come up between that that they just didn't do or they completely ignored. Well, I, it definitely would lend itself in this diff, new structure to a lot more character development. Obviously, some more solid conflict than uh, Marty's yellow. Marty, Marty having to <laughs> overcome being called a chicken. Oh, God, that was so <laughs> stupid. Oh, that was so dumb and came Oh, out what's the matter, McFly? Chicken? Why? That didn't make any sense. Nothing because ever was brought up. They didn't they didn't really have much in the way of any type of character development. I mean, they tried to shoehorn it in. Honestly, Doc got more of it with just his romance in the third one. I mean, Marty just kind of oh, I'm going on this adventure. I'm still kind of the sidekick. Yada yada yada. He's I don't just know. For some reason, Biff, teen. That's Biff what is everywhere. <laughs> yeah, Marty was typical 80s teen and the vision for the audience. I'm sure there's some old Greek play phrase for it, but he was just simply the the eyes of the audience and a blank slate for you to put your own vision on mm -hmm. as to how you would react to these other you know, odd circumstances of going back and seeing your parents as teenagers or, or, or whatever it may be. But yeah, just provide some actual conflict. And I think 
we will say this till the end of our show, whenever we end this show, is that our conflicts are always coming from the idea of 30 years on in the types of stories that are being told. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's easy, easy for us to sit here and look back at what was done and how it was done and everything and go, oh, well. Wait a minute. So what you're saying is, is that our podcast is about looking things with hindsight? Well, uh, I guess. Who but, would do that um, kind of thing except for maybe us? Uh, us. But, yeah, I mean, you you do need to bear in mind the type of storytelling that was kind of accepted back then. I mean, if you told some of the types of narratives and some of the styles that we do, obviously, today in you know, film or television or whatever, I think you would have had a, a, hard, a much harder time both selling it to Hollywood and getting it made in the first place and then – you know, potentially connecting with the audience. So these things were crafted the way they were crafted for very specific reasons, obviously. Very specific corporate reason. Corporate reasons, yes. We need to spin this <laughs> off and make toys and TV shows and cartoons and and a, a ride at Universal Studios, and it'll just be grand. And Well, you can do that off of something with a good story as well. So that's why we're hindsighting to say, as always... If you base it off a character, not off a concept, you're going to have a better story innately. Base it on character, not just story things. You're going to have a better story. (laughs) You're going to have a good time. Yeah. (laughs) So if Marty is an actual human being and not just a encapsulated, soulless uh, shell of a corpse meat who represents what is the (laughs) 80s... Hey, now I'm going over here and doing something. Hey, now I'm going over here. And what's my happening? And what's my reward? I get more money in a truck in the '80s and a lady. That's right. (laughs) Hey, hey, it's the reward of the '80s. I guess. Here, here's a question: If we're looking at you know, kind of putting all cards on the table and everything like that, do we want to stay? Do we think it holds up? Um, keeping everything centered around just being in Hill Valley. Yeah, because I like that idea of the Back to the Future form of time travel. It sound like South Park. The, <laughs> the Back to the Future form of time travel where it is time travel, not time and space travel. Mm. I think that makes so much more sense to be uh, just traveling through time and not space. Even though Science will say they're interwoven, and Einstein will say they're inexorably intertwined. But it's a much simpler idea to grasp your head around. If you're already grasping time, you don't want to have to try and grasp space as well. And it's easier to say that than to say, well, I got knocked on the head in Connecticut, and suddenly I'm in England in 500 <laughs> years ago for some reason. Well, it definitely keeps the narrative easier to follow and um, keeps it, you know, the whole time machine thing from becoming overly magical or, you know, whatever term you want to apply to it. Yeah, I think the the simplest things that you do is you take whatever character Marty McFly was in the first movie. So if he was a precocious teen who was never on time for anything and wanted to be a rock star, well, treat it with a little bit more reality and instead of... Well, he would have never. He would have given up on his music. What his music? His, the the pinettes were going to be heading for fame, <laughs> or the pinheads, whatever the hell they were called. Were Pin, pinheads. The, yeah, I don't think they were headed for fame. That would have just been a teenage thing. So it would have been 
a growing experience for Marty to learn, okay, well, you know, he's a teenager and it's in the 80s. Well, he wants to be a rock star. Great, but how about 2015? You don't hang on to your dreams of being a rock star, so the whole idea is, well, you need to go back to the 80s where you can get stuff, women, and be a rock star. (laughs) How about give Marty a character arc so where he becomes a science teacher, where he learns from Doc and suddenly he becomes interested in uh, mechanical engineering or uh, astrophysics. (laughs) He, He suddenly becomes interested in stuff because Doc... Uh, Doc's time machine got him interested and all these time travel things have a result so that when he when we see him in the future he's not some lame who took a corporate job and no he he maybe the vision of his future is not something where Doc said uh, what Doc said was so bad maybe when they go to the future in the middle of our movie by accident it's actually like a really really nice future or something where Marty is really successful and hell even go you could even go crazier with it if he's in high school which is supposed to be the idea with 47 year old Michael J. Fox is in high school then why don't we deal with the fact that he's got a high school crush on his high school girlfriend and how many high school girlfriends end up being future wives it's 15% maybe. Uh, you know, you're going to find somebody else in college and you're going to find somebody else afterwards. So why don't we go to the future and Marty and Jennifer aren't together? Maybe they maybe, maybe they were meant to not be together or to get divorced or whatever. Or, or they had a kid like out of wedlock and like when they were 19 and that's the kid who has, uh, they had twin kids or something like that when they were 19. They never got married, and maybe they were meant to be together, or, and they're with somebody else, but successful, or, you know, anything that provides conflict outside of the conflict being, oh, yeah, for some reason Marty McFly was going to be a rock star, but he broke his hand racing flea in a, <laughs> in a pickup truck. And he doesn't like me called chicken. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty unnecessary stuff, basically. Well, what do we think about uh, Doc's role in all of this? I mean, they kind of went out of their way to give Doc a happy ending and everything like that. Are we putting that same kind of constraint? I'm not saying we have to make it dark um, or bump him off or anything like that but I mean if we're raising the stakes if we're bringing in conflict and all that kind of stuff obviously we would have more conflict between him and Marty are there any other conflicts that we think we would want to weave in their curveballs we could throw at Doc I think what happens is is that Doc gets stuck back in 1885 like he dreamed Mm -hmm. and he leaves uh, he takes a photograph next to the clock And the last thing Marty sees when, you know, maybe there's conflict at the beginning of our part three where he's really hating Doc because Jennifer's gone and somehow throughout the part three they resolve it and he he, he gains a, a, a mutual respect for Doc and Doc decides to stay back in 1885 just like almost like they did Mm -hmm. and Marty gets to the future and they somehow manage to fix it and they can have a happy ending where Jennifer's there. So suddenly he's that much more happy to see Jennifer because for the last movie she wasn't just thrown on a front porch. 
<laughs> she, she was actually <laughs> well you've dead. served your purpose for the last 10 minutes you're gone yeah she's actually either dead or you know he had to solve that problem and so the sweet moment we could have at the end of part three is that um maybe that's where the western union thing comes in where it says you know we didn't believe that uh a hundred years later that we would actually have this. We had a bet going on, but here you go. And instead of a letter from Doc, it's just a sweet ending image of the picture of Doc next to the clock. Ooh, I like that. And Marty sees it, and Jennifer's like, hey, he looks familiar. And Marty's got a tear in his eye or something like that. And then we fade out, and then we do a Marvel movie type thing where we fade up to a, a post credit scene, and... Doc, <laughs> here we go. It was cross us up a little bit, and then suddenly Doc, uh, we see has a uh, uh, he had children, and one of his grandchildren, their name, Doctor Sam Beckett, <laughs> <laughs> and it all runs in the family. <laughs> so the problem that Doc Brown had was he had the physical machine in the space so dr sam beckett wants to be able to time travel where he's not invading the space because they see all the problems they cause so he's inhabiting another person just to view time not to be a part of time and the circle of the 80s is complete (laughs) (laughs) the circle of time travel is complete and then when sam beckett is a baby Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up <laughs> to kill him. <laughs> and and we start a whole new trilogy just called Doc simply Brown's, Time. Doc Brown's got his futuristic rifle sight going and <laughs> starts shooting up the Terminator. <laughs> and it's just simply called Time. <laughs> what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme will not be appearing in these films. <laughs> Unnecessary to have Jean-Claude show up. And, and yeah, I, I think it, yeah, it just stems from having character. That's how these sequels, bringing it all back in a big circle, I think that's how these sequels would work, is having it all based out of character and conflict, just like old storytelling. And just what we just came up with is enough to say... We don't have to give any further details because it already sounds leaps and bounds above what we got in part two and part three. Well, I mean, I and again, it it that type of story I think appeals more to audiences today. Um, it would be interesting. I'd really like to um, sit down with people who are you know, younger than us and see how any of these movies kind of play or hold up for them today. Because, again, we had parents who had grown up there in the 50s, and so we had that kind of tangential connection through them, and they could explain some of this stuff and everything like that. But um, we're obviously further away from the 50s. We've got a different generation of parents raising their kids and everything with different memories and different connections of different decades, and it just would be interesting to see, you know, out of time, now that we're in the future, how these movies kind of hold up. It would be interesting. I mean, there's a show on now called The Goldbergs. It's all based in the 80s. And it's the equivalent of Back to the Future looking at the 50s now because we're 30 years 30 years on, which is frightening to think of. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, it would be an interesting timepiece to show some kid now who uh, who has no real point of reference as far as, okay, what is that thing he's putting in that other in his iPod? Well, that's not an iPod, son. That's a tape player. See, there were cassettes that you put music <laughs> on and put it in there and, and listen to it on your gigantic headphones. Yeah, I kind of worry if they actually did try to like reboot this or you know whatever Hollywood would want to do with it. That that's all they would do. They would take like the lazy way out and just be like, "All right, no, now instead of going back to the '50s, Marty McFly ends up in the '70s." Yay! Hey, this is all- new and different. And it would all be about you. Don't have that technology we have. And that, that that would be all. It would, I have an iPhone. You have stupid stuff. <laughs> Funny. What, what's the internet? Well, they did that in Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that movie was all right. <laughs> so I, I like the idea of a Back to the Future Part 2 where we, we pretty much dismiss anything that uh, Zemeckis and Gale originally did and actually approach it from what it seems like from an outsider's perspective they really wanted to <laughs> yeah we'll make the movie they actually wanted to make <laughs> <laughs> but this time adding character and conflict and that idea of having jennifer disappear makes her a vital part instead of again throwing her on a porch and forgetting about her yeah, definitely. Make her make her an actual functioning character, raise the stakes, you know, really really get people to invest in who these characters are instead of just and then this thing happens and then this thing happens. And use the actress that you paid for that was very popular at that time. If you're going to recast with Elizabeth Shue, that's somebody with a name, you don't recast her to throw her on a porch and forget about her for two movies. Include her. <laughs> yeah, what is she in like 20, 25 minutes of two films total? Maybe, if yeah. that. So just, uh, it, it, this concerns both of you, Marty. Okay, good. Then go with that <laughs> and make it concern both of them. But Doc doesn't realize how prescient he is being in saying it concerns both of them when suddenly Jennifer disappears because they fucked up something in her family in the 1800s. <laughs> And now they're completely out of their depth. Now Doc has got to take the high road and say, Marty, we can't do anymore. And Marty's got to be a pissed off teenager. Again, acknowledge he's a teenager. He's like, oh, my God, Doc, you, you killed Jennifer. And, and well, she's not dead, Marty. She just never lived. <laughs> <laughs> and so Marty becomes... There you go. Marty's a hothead. Fine. Go with that. He steals the time machine and goes back to try and fix what they did and may ends up making things worse. Doc has to go back and help him. There's a growth of Marty's character where he realizes he can't do everything to fix this all. And... Because there is only one man who can help him. And that man... His friend in time, Doc Emmett Brown. Oh well, I, I was I was gonna go with uh, Mallory's boyfriend Nick, but if, you want, <laughs> if we don't want to do that, Mallory, Mallory, <laughs> hey Alex, <laughs> thank you Scott Valentine reference. Can't get away with a podcast without Scott Valentine coming up. 
And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, don't bother. Don't, don't go. Don't go looking. You will waste your time. Kind of like Back to the Future Part Two. Whoa! Oh, circle back. That's so. There you go. So, what are we thinking? Is it time to make like a tree and get out of here? Um, or leave. <laughs> If you want to be more accurate about it, we never even. And you notice how we did uh, the bare bones of a very solid part two and part three, and never mentioned Biff or Lorraine uh, or or George McFly tangentially because it was unnecessary to have them. Yeah, their story really was centered in the first one. And it's fine to sprinkle them in, but my gosh. Yeah. Have you don't Leah need Thompson Biff show in up. every other scene go, being called by some different character's name. Have have uh, Leah Thompson show up in the first movie. And if you really want to get cute with it, have her be a Baines in the Old West, not a McFly, because she's not genetically a McFly. She's a Baines, so they can just randomly come across the Baines family for half of a second, and Leah Thompson's got a cameo. Boom! How about that? Well, it definitely makes the town a little less creepy that way. Uh, A lot so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so everybody in 1885 looks exactly like the people that they spawn in 1985, including the people... They didn't spawn. There you go. That's what Marty finds out in the future. They sent clones back <laughs> into the past <laughs> in the future. That's why everybody looks the same. It's all just a big setup. Marty's just a clone. We'll make it true sci-fi. And then he wakes up and he's in total recall. <laughs> we just I... came in here to go on a virtual vacation, man. <laughs> Game over, man. Game <laughs> over, Marty. Game over. And it's, it just becomes a grand tour of every 80s movie. <laughs> uh, I, I I like the idea of just conflict and character, as always, making things so much better than they were. Agreed. So, like you said, we can... We can get out of here or something other than... Biff would have said in some useless way. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Marty, that's it. So, we're wrapped. All right, well, I'll see you in the future then, Doc. You mean the, the past? Right. <laughs> Goodbye. I don't get it, Doc. I mean, how can all this be happening? It's like we're in hell or something. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. No, it's still Dolly, although I can't imagine hell being much worse. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. Hey, did you just take his wallet? He just took that guy's wallet. Who the hell is Clarence? Okay, but... Ah!